When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the latest edition of Until Saturday. It's been a while since I've been on the feed, been on vacation, been doing some traveling for the athletic. Chris, uh, Vanini is joining me today. Uh, did you miss me? I missed you, Ari. I was actually on vacation too for a bit. Uh, I was up in Detroit, which is uh, current Big Ten country. You're still out in California. Looks nice there behind you, which is still Pac-12 country for now. I am... In California right now on a family vacation. Every year, my wife and I take a week in the beginning of August uh, to spend time together with my daughter because she's not going to see me until January. So uh, (laughs) even though we're still here and I'm in a beach house that we rented on Airbnb and sitting next to the Pacific Ocean, uh, I'm still here with you guys. Um, So I am happy to be here. And it's very appropriate that we're going to be doing the Pac-12 preview today because as I sit here in San Diego... um, could be the future of the Pac-12 territory, but certainly used to be um, the Pac-12 territory before uh, USC and UCLA bolted to the Big Ten. Um, and I'm excited to do this. So uh, before we get into the actual podcast where we have a ton to cover, I wanted to make sure that I told everybody and reminded them to rate and review until Saturday on uh, your streaming platform, whether that be Apple, Google, Stitcher. Uh, I'm forgetting another one, Spotify, all those ones really helps the show grow and continue to be seen by new people. Um, and if you like watching it with the sweet graphics that we have from our producer, Cam and Chris's beautifully groomed beard on YouTube, you can find the link to the YouTube channel that you should subscribe to, you know, subscribe to both, but that link is in the show's description. So Chris, um, are you ready to get into the pack 12? So the first thing I wanted to say before we go is, that you would think Pac-12 preview and everything that's occurred uh, in the sport for the past two weeks, uh, you would think that we're going to discuss realignment for an hour. And I think that it would be bad podcasting to not at least acknowledge what the future could look like of this conference. Uh, But I wanted to say that we're not going to spend a ton of time on it because it stinks. I hate the demise of West Coast football. Uh, I don't know if you believe uh, the same you know, viewpoint as I do, but I, I hate this whole thing. And I want to show respect to a conference that actually might be legitimately one of the most entertaining leagues uh, in the entire sport this year. And appropriately so before it all falls apart, just look at the quarterbacks in this league, Chris cam rising at Utah, Caleb Williams, the reigning Heisman trophy winner at USC, Washington's got Michael Penix Jr., a Heisman candidate. Oregon's got Bo Nix, a Heisman candidate. Arizona has Jaden Delora, who I think is sneaky. Good. Uh, and it's not just because I went there. UCLA's got a intriguing combination of Colin Schley, the uh, Kent State transfer who throws the ball over the place, and five-star freshman Dante Moore. Colorado's got Shador Sanders. Wazoo's got Cam Ward. And Oregon State has DJ Uyunglele. Uh And that is maybe the best group of quarterbacks in Power 5 football this year? I don't think it's even close. I A couple, like a month or two ago, 
I had made a comment uh, on Twitter about how whatever happens with realignment, Pac-12 was going to be by far the most exciting conference in college football this year. And a lot of SEC people got mad at me for that. But I think if you look at what you just said, all those quarterbacks, this is going to be a very, very fun potential final season of Pac-12 football. Not only are the quarterbacks in this conference extremely good, but the way the Pac-12 schedule is set up, a lot of their biggest games are in the second half of the season. So there's a mm-hmm. real chance you have some inflated records uh, going into October, November, and you get a lot of top 10 matchups, top 15 matchups. So I think the Pac-12 is going to be a lot of fun. I know we got to talk for a minute about realignment, but we are going to spend most of this podcast talking about, again, what I think is going to be the most fun conference in college football this year. And I think it's it's just a appropriate ode to West Coast football as we know it now. Um, I wrote a column last week uh, basically imploring people to savor this season because this season is going to be the last of the four-team playoff. And, of course, as the way the, con- the con- conferences are constructed as we know it. And to me, that was the epitome of college football. I thought it was its best form, and maybe it's uh, age bias or ageism. But in 2014, when they expanded it to four and the conferences were aligned the way they were, I thought that was perfect. And if you are even in remote agreement of that, this is the last year that you're going to get a chance to do this. And this is the last year that people on the West Coast who will still root for their teams and will still watch their games uh, once UCLA and USC in their Big Ten and all the other moves that happened in the last four weeks, you know, go into effect. It's a celebration of West Coast football, and it's going to be the epitome, in my opinion, of like Pac-12 after dark madness grab ass. So I'm happy that we have it, and I just want everybody to watch it with just a little bit of a warmer heart this year because they've been a, the butt of jokes a lot in the last 10 years. And, you know, people will tell you that the part of the reason why this whole thing is happening is because Pac-12 fans just aren't as bought in as some of our friends over in the South and in the Midwest. Um but you can't be a college football fan this year without being a Pac-12 fan because they're going to, you know, play a huge part in this. So, Chris, before we go into uh, all the Pac-12-ness of this podcast from a on-the-field football standpoint, um, let me get your rundown and your thought process of what the Pac-12 could do or what it might do. So they're down to four, Stanford, Cal, Oregon State, Washington State, Stanford, looking, hoping maybe the Big Ten will change its mind and let let them in, probably not happening. Exploring the idea of independence, also pushing to join the ACC, which I wrote a column on Monday saying that I think it's a no-brainer the ACC should add Stanford and Cal. If that happens, likely the Mountain West for Oregon State and Washington State. The American Athletic Conference is making a push as well. They've got a long ESPN deal. They would like to add all four of them. Um, Rebuilding the conference is difficult um, because you're not going to have the same college football playoff payout money anymore. Whatever an autonomy five status means, it's more of a governance thing. It doesn't really matter. That's going away. And you don't have a media deal right now. So anybody who jumps into the conference would be taking an enormous risk and a costly one because it'll cost for Mountain West schools to join this year or next year, $34 million dollars. For the American, you're talking probably north of $15, $20 million as well. So it's an, it's an expensive That could be a five-year recoup if you do that. I mean, if you even assuming that they're going to get a TV deal, well, uh, if you're pro- paying that much money, you can't, you can't even physically or possibly do it. It doesn't make sense. There, there's also concerns about some lawsuits against the conference. There's $50 million in Comcast overpayment that there, that there was. Um, so it, it, everybody I've talked to around that whole thing says it's not clear – 
A lot of lawyers need to go through it if it's even feasible to rebuild the conference. If the ACC say we'll take Stanford to Cal, that's probably the end of it for sure. Uh, if not, the American will make a push. The Mountain West will make a push. But um, uh, everybody's kind of waiting for the ACC to make its final decision on that. And then you go from there. Well, here's my take on it, Chris. I don't really care uh, if it's called the Pac-12 in the future or if they rebuild or whatever. Like the Pac-12 is dead, right? So right. Uh, that to me, it's like you can call it whatever you want. You can uh, buy a Ford Festiva and put a Bentley logo on it. That's not a Bentley. So, uh, you know, it's already dead. I- I'm very curious to see what happens to the remaining four teams because they're all teams that have had exciting runs in the last, you know, 10 years or so. Oregon State's on the upswing, Wazoo, uh, during the Mike Leach years, was in the college football playoff discussion uh, in week eight. Uh, Stanford has had, you know, it's some big upsets and some fun times and wins championships in every sport. And, you know, I guess Cal is just Cal. But, um, you know, we'll see what happens with the, the remaining of these four teams. But, you know, in terms of whether there's going to be a conference called the Pac-12 or if they're going to disseminate out into other conferences, it's like, who gives a crap? I mean, it, the Pac-12 is dead. So well, that's uh, that's part of the debate is even if you do reform it, is there value in that name and that logo in that 50 to 100 years of history, depending on how you look at it? Because remember, the Big East, when they fell apart, they backfilled. And the basketball schools left and took the Big East name with them. The Big East football became the American Athletic Conference. So, you know, there's different ways to kind of do this and whether or not there's value in that name and that logo. Well, what's your, what's right. your thought it's process not, on it? it, it it's, it's If you try to rebuild the pack, whatever, it's not going to be the pack, whatever. Um, I, I, I think there's value in it. Although I, w- I will say I don't like the American Athletic Conference name. Like, I still think Big East would have been fine or you'd change something else. Metro Conference, I don't know. Um Pack whatever I don't like. I don't know. Merging with the Mountain West seems unlikely, but the Mountain West is open to it. They are, are you the Pack Mountain or, or the Pack West Conference? The I Pack think Mountain that could work. We've got the we've got the Big West. We've got the Big Sky out there. Um, probably don't want to go big because you're not going to be a big. How about you just go Pack Mountain West. Sky? Pack Sky, Pack Sun, pack like sky. The, like Pack. What pack about sun. Pack Sun? Did you did you wear that back in the Which, day? Is that still in? Is that still? Everybody did, man. You know, you had to go on those diets in the middle of the year so you could fit your Hurley <laughs> shirt in the summertime. I, you know, I, I've been yeah. around the block there. Yeah, the Pac, Pac Sun would be good. Uh, I, I don't know what would die first, that football conference or the store. But, you know, we're we're kind of heading in the same direction there. So, okay. Want to talk about football? You, Let's you just do it. Talk about football? I want to okay. talk about quarterbacks in football. Okay. Ten minutes into the show, um, I think that we did good there. So, segment number one. Um Will the Pac-12 title game be a combination of USC, Oregon, and Washington, or will there be a potential dark horse playing in that game? I think, going back to the schedule point that I made before, USC last year did not play Washington, did not play Oregon. They played Washington State and Oregon State. Now they're getting those two teams. Uh, you've You've got Washington playing USC, Utah, Oregon State all in November. I think... Almost everybody plays everybody in this conference now, all the big heavyweights. So, like, if I was to make a pick, it'd be two of those three in there. But I really think this conference kind of feels wide open because of that, because everybody plays everybody, and you're not going to dodge somebody with a favorable schedule here and there. If this is the final year of the Pac-12, they're going to go out with a bang with everybody playing everybody. So will it be a combination, two of those three? I'm going to say yes, but with a very, very low confidence in that. Yeah, well, the thing that's interesting is I just looked at USC's schedule. Um, 
And between October 14th and the final uh, game of the year against UCLA on November 18th, they play Notre Dame, Utah, then a bye week at Cal uh, October 28th, and then they finish the season with three consecutive games against Washington, a road game at Oregon, and a home game against UCLA. So, like, to me, I think that there's no – question that USC has got to be the favorite to be the conference winner this year. Um, But if they do win the conference or they get to the playoff this year, there's no question that they're going to have to earn that on the field. That's not an easy run uh, for anybody in college football, let alone uh, a team that hasn't proven that it can play defense. So um, the question I thought was interesting about the way that this is all broken down here, Chris, is that um, should Utah be considered a dark horse? I mean, you've got the two time defending uh, champion, and they have a really way, uh, brutal way to open the season. Uh, they're playing Florida again. Um, you know, again, they probably should win if we're if we're being honest. And then a road trip at Baylor, like that's not an easy one-two punch to begin the year. One of those is in week zero, and then um, their their schedule is a little bit more uh, evenly distributed. They don't have that gauntlet of you know five of the hardest games in their schedule coming in a seven-week period. So why are they not? Why are they considered a dark horse? Shouldn't they be in the in the discussion with the other three? Yeah, I mean, I mean, we're probably disrespecting them by asking that first question. They've won the conference the last two years. And the schedule is, is more balanced, but they do get USC, Washington, Oregon State all on the road. Um, that is yeah. a, a, along with the Baylor game, the Florida game, stuff like you mentioned. So it is is a pretty sneaky schedule. I, I'm curious. I want to see what Cam Rising looks like, you know, coming off of the torn ACL. Um that's the biggest question. He was electric when when he was healthy, and obviously the way the last year ended was was difficult. The, the that Florida game, by the way, that's what that's a Thursday game, I think, in week one. Is that right? That that place, Salt Lake City, is going to be going bonkers for that. That scene is going to be very very cool. It's going to be a great way to start off the season. But you know, they lost Dalton Kincaid, the the really good tight end. Do have some good receivers back. Defensive line is loaded. You know they're always going to be solid on that side of the ball. Um, yeah, it, it, Utah, it's weird. They win two conference championships, and yet we're, we're not considering them at the very, very top of the league. If the AP poll came out on Monday, they're behind several. Of, I think they're at 14th. They're behind several teams. So they're not a dark horse. They're ahead of Oregon. Speak. AP yeah. top 25 has four Pac-12 schools in yeah. the top 15. Yeah. USC so, 6, Washington 10, Utah 14, Oregon 15, and then Oregon State yeah. at 18. Yeah, they just they they're not flashy, I guess, like some of the others were. They just consistently get One thing about this team too, they rebound from losses very well. Um they get better as the season goes on. We remember what happened at UCLA last year. I think we all kind of forgot about them for a couple weeks after that. Suddenly they're uh suddenly they're in the Pac-12 championship and they're winning it. So very good team, the over under is uh, eight and a half wins. Oregon's at nine and a half wins. I just, I got to see how Cam Rising looks, you know? I think the thing with Utah is exactly what you just said is they're not a flashy team. Um, But they've proven time and time again that the lack of flashiness is the kryptonite to the flash, you know? Um so, you know, a lot of times you don't even know who their offensive linemen are and their skill position players kind of sneak up on you uh, when November comes. And the next thing you know, they're just pounding a really good team repeatedly in in the mouth until, um, you know, they kind of break through physically. So, you know, I think that Utah should at least be in the discussion there. I think the question is, do you think a team like 
you know, UCLA or Oregon State or somebody that hasn't really been in the mix um, much in the past is a team that could break through and actually play in the championship game, which is, you know, kind of happened at times when this team or when this conference has had divisions. But now uh, it's kind of a free for all. The, the thing that's interesting to me is that like Wazoo's got a hell of a quarterback. You know, Colorado, I don't think we're anticipating really, you know, participating in this race in a real way. But what if Shador Sanders is awesome? What if UCLA comes out and has a kick-ass quarterback again? Uh, you know, there's a lot of teams that are going to be led by a very interesting and good and exciting quarterback. And I think anytime you have a conference that has, you know, nine teams with really good quarterbacks, uh, the question should be, like, if you had to guess right now, will the championship game be comprised of two of the three that we mentioned? I think that the safe bet would probably be to take the field. I mean, one of them will probably make mm-hmm. it, but it probably is going to be a team that we're not considering right now in the other half, right? Yeah, I mean, everybody points to Oregon State as like that dark horse, like you said, and it kind of brings up the question, Oregon State might be the America's darling team this year because of what has happened with realignment, because they have a pretty good team, because people would like to see DJ Wangalale, you know, reach you know, the, his heights again. There's going to be a lot of people rooting for that team. And they uh, they, they kept uh, Damian Martinez, the running back, the Pac-12 freshman offensive player of the year. He's from Texas. I know they were concerned about some schools coming in to try to convince him to come close to home. But he stayed at Oregon State. Their defense last year was top 20 in the country. They do have to replace a good chunk of that back seven. But they should be pretty solid. And they don't play USC. And they don't play Oregon and Washington until the final two weeks of the season. So that's the yeah, situation. Yeah, it's a really brutal way at the end of the year to close it. Right, but it's a spot where Oregon State, you know, might have eight, nine wins going into the, those final two weeks because of how their schedule sets up. So it, it is a spot where if you can get that momentum early on and the nation starts to kind of get behind you, how you handle that. So I, they are a really interesting dark horse. They're also eight and a half is is their over under, and they've just gotten better each year under Jonathan Jonathan Smith. And um, yeah. If I was to pick someone well, outside of that top four, it'd be them, clearly. Later in this feed, I, I, we're going to do a show where we rank uh, the t- five most interesting quarterbacks that we're like, just interested in watching this year. And I don't know if DJU is going to make the list, but just the thought process of what's he going to look like? Can he reach those heights? Like, There's a lot of people who don't think he can. It's like he's just not very good, you know? And being in a system that he thinks is accentuating his skill set and a place that doesn't really have the same type of pressure that uh, Clemson does in terms of you can't be losing in the third quarter. Like it might be a, a situation where he turns out to be awesome because he's an incredible physical specimen. So, you know, Oregon state's schedule now that I'm looking at it here really sets up nicely. I mean, if you go look between October and mid November, they play Cal UCLA, Arizona, Colorado, and Stanford. I mean, there's a, real world where that team wins every single one of those games. Um, and if they mm-hmm. do that and and they take care of business at the beginning of the year against San Jose State, UC Davis, and San Diego State, I mean, they just have to go 500 or, you know, even win one out of the three games against really good teams to hit that over. Like, I think I really like the over of their win total this year. Um, and I'm happy that we're spending time on them in this podcast because, you know, some people in the reviews – think this is an SEC only podcast. That was a solid four minutes on Oregon State. So change your change your review to five stars and say sorry. Like I want the review to say sorry. <laughs> have have you ever been up there, by the way, to Oregon or Oregon State? I've been to Autzen. I've never been to Oregon State. 
Okay. I, I last year I made a trip to Oregon and Oregon State, and obviously um, not as many people stop off in um, at Oregon State on the way down to Eugene. But one thing about Oregon State too, last year they played their games in half a stadium because half the stadium was under construction. It's open this year. One, it, it, the capacity was slightly decreased, but it's going to be one of the nicest luxury stadiums you've ever seen kind of at a college level. I got to sit in one of the chairs that they had. It, it, what it, was it's the chair like? Loud play. It felt like one of those really, really nice movie theater chairs. Could with, it recline? They, uh, I don't remember. If, it, it was Could you a imagine reclining at a football game? <laughs> that would be fun. I, I'm kind of surprised they haven't uh, done that. But but Research Stadium, it's going to be packed every single good game there. It's the new stadium and everything like that. It's going to add to everything. They Like what they did last year to have that season, they did that again in half a stadium. So like it's going to be even bigger this year, and that's going to be a lot of fun. I think we should open up a business where we um, sell stadium seating that reclines like an AMC movie theater. And it comes with a well, button so you don't have to get up for your beers. They can just bring it to you. You're giving these away for free now. How how much money would you pay for a beer at a stadium if you didn't have to go get it? I, I'm kind of surprised that's not a thing. Like with the movies, you can even order on your phone sometimes and they'll bring it to you. Like that's kind of the new thing. And stadiums now are not getting bigger. They're getting more, I don't want to say luxurious, but it's more about yeah. uh, the experience and everything like that. So and I'm there are some people who are probably laughing at me and saying, have you ever been to a sporting event? They've got drink vendors that walk up and down the aisles. And it's like, I know that right. I, I want somebody to bring it to me freshly poured and hand it to me. I think I'd pay $28 that's, a beer for that if I could just like lay a, there. Athletic directors, if you're listening, that is the the new way to make a, a lot of future. money. That's the have future. Have some sort of app where you can deliver beer to someone in a reclining seat. An app for apps. App for app. I would. I mean, I'm downloading it right now. <laughs> okay. There you go. All right. Let's get into some win totals over under. So we uh, we just talked a little bit about USC, but let's kind of hone in on their schedule and, and what they have bringing back. Um, as people know who listen to this feed. I have a $1,000 bet with the former co-host of this podcast that USC will make the playoff in the first three years of the Lincoln-Riley era. Um, and I'm having really mixed emotions. I think I'm going to win by default because uh, next year everyone makes the playoff, even if you're not that good. Um, so I think you at USC will be able to do that then. But um, in this show, I don't want to like scoop myself, but I feel like they have to be the Pac-12 favorite, but I don't necessarily believe that they are going to do it in my heart of hearts. I picked them, but I don't, I don't think they're going to do it. Um, plays Washington and Oregon uh, on the road this year. Um, missed both of them last year, right? Also uh, plays Utah again and Notre Dame's on the road. And of course uh, they kept the defensive coordinator that fielded a team that couldn't tackle with their lives uh, depending on it. So I don't know you know, what it's going to look like. They've had some pretty important transfers come in. Uh, Bear Alexander is the one who comes to mind. Um, Dorian Singer on offense comes to mind. Um, and a few others on the defensive line from the SEC. Uh, but I am really, really nervous about them just being the same exact iteration of what they were a year ago. Maybe marginally better, but awesome offense, incredible quarterback, must-watch television, can't stop a nosebleed. Like they tried to address the defense with some of those transfers and whatnot, but but like you said, throughout Lincoln Riley's history as a head coach, this is not something he has figured out. The defensive side of the ball, and he kept Alex Grinch. 
I was at that Cotton Bowl last year against Tulane, and Tulane was racking off 10 yards of carry. Tajay Spears was doing what he was doing. I could not believe in person how poorly that team tackled. Well, they probably Whatever didn't care. The, did they game. care the rest of did they care the rest of the is, season? Did they did but they I, care in the Pac-12 yeah. championship game? Because it wasn't much better in that game either. Like like just yeah. remarkably not there. And it's just again the history. It's it, this isn't something where like Lincoln Riley's trying to rekindle what he had at some other spot and fix it. There's nothing in his history that says he's figured out in whatever he does as a head coach that'll fix the defense. So you're right. I am I guess concerned that USC is going to be the exact same type of team. Put up a ton of points. Caleb Williams is going to be great again. Make a, a so many plays with his feet, extend plays, do all that kind of stuff. But he's going to have to because they're going to be giving up 35 points a game. West Coast, Oklahoma. Um, and I, I, you do have to say some of the names that they brought in. Like Anthony Lucas from A&M could be a difference maker. Linebacker Mason Cobb from Oklahoma State. And cornerback Christian Roland Wallace from Arizona. Um, not to mention that Dorian Singer is going to put up big numbers this year. Um, it might have, you know, been overlooked in the preseason discussion about the elite receivers that are in the sport this year. Um, but what was the thing that USC did to address the defense that makes you say, hey, this is going to be different than it has in the past? And I get that, you know, the defense of it is. They got there, and there wasn't a ton of talent on defense. It wasn't his guys. You know, Alex Grinch was doing his best with people that didn't recruit. But if you go look at the actual high school recruiting rankings of what USC has done, I don't necessarily see a team that has um, overtly addressed the weakness of the team, you know, like undisputably. And they got some guys like Tackett Curtis out of Louisiana. You know, I'm not saying they didn't get any recruiting wins, but their recruiting in general out of the high school ranks has been not nearly as good as I thought it was going to be. It has concerned you. I mean, this was a, a yeah. theme last year, and, and and still on that you thought Lincoln Riley would be able to come in and easily. I thought it was going to be classes. like an Alabama Georgia West, honestly. Um, yeah. And I think there's some, you know, there is this the number one debate really with this whole thing. Chris is are players in California and on the West Coast better at football or as good at football as kids in the South? And I think that right. the answer to that question is probably no because it's in the results. Um, the mm-hmm. Southern players that stay in the SEC and play, um, you know, in their footprint, you know, have by and large made better football teams than the West Coast has. And California in general has been a breeding ground uh, for the entire conference. And the entire conference hasn't made the playoffs since Washington, right? Um, is that right. right? In 2017 or whatever year that was? Um, uh, 16. So, 16. So, yes. One state can't, you know, just be the whole thing for for one conference. And the South is Florida and Louisiana and all these big time states for talent. It's a little bit different. But um, if USC is an international recruiting brand and hammers home California talent and then picks, you know, here and there guys out of Texas and Florida, or whatever, like they've been doing, can they ever beat Georgia? You know, and I know that's probably five or six, seven steps down the line. But when Lincoln Riley got hired, Chris, I thought it was an inevitability that this team would be built um, in a way that could rival and compete with teams um, at the elite level at other places in the country. And they're not even close to that right now. Um, I think you could even make the case that there were some Oklahoma teams that got their ass kicked in the playoff. When you think back to Pete Carroll's uh, or mid-2000s dynasty there, we think about Matt Leiner, Reggie Bush, and whatnot. But Mm -hmm. they produced an incredible amount of linemen and defensive players yeah. as well. And that has not been the case. And, and, and 
our colleague Chantel Jennings a few years ago, I think, did a story about the lack of defensive linemen coming out of California. You know, and, it, and clearly not at the rate you're getting it down and in the South. Antonio and Bruce reasons. just did one that they don't even have a blue chip offensive or not a blue chip, like a top 100 offensive lineman in the last four classes in the entire state of California. Yeah, I think there's yeah. a few in this 2024 cycle, but neither of them are going to USC. I don't think so. Um, it just, to me, it's like, oh, well, they got four guys in the portal. Like, is that, a, is that like a good enough thing for you right. to say they're going to win the national title this year or win the PAC 12 even? Well, it seems like that's what it's going to have to be. I mean, that's where they're going to have to find them. I, I've been doing research for a story. Realignment kind of blew it up, but basically like the state of West Coast football and like player participation is is shrinking a bit there compared to other parts of the country. It's, it's generally down in most places. It's up in the South and Texas, but it's continuing to go down in California. Like you can't rely on California. And USC tries to recruit nationally, obviously, as a lot of programs do, but you're not going to be able to find those linemen in the state anymore. And so you're going to have to do a lot more portaling probably. And I don't know if that's a recipe to win a national championship. I know this is a PAC 12 preview and I don't want to spend the entire time on USC, but the question too, when it comes to the Pete Carroll comparisons is that when USC was dominating the sport uh, during the liner Reggie Bush era, the teams in the SEC and in the big 10 that are being assembled right now, weren't as deep as they are now. So the way that they did it, you know, they had some national brands and, uh, you know, players from other states outside of California certainly went to USC and did good things there. But in order for them to assemble a roster that can actually win a national title, um, there is a huge amount of national success that they're going to have to have, um, you know, in the recruiting realm that is better than what it was back then. And, you know, the portal will help them fill some holes um, in the four guys that they got are certainly going to help. But in order for them to field a team that can go toe-to-toe with Georgia, a team that I thought was going to be one of the five best programs in college football, they have a long, long way to go. Um, and in year two, are they going to win the Pac-12 as a major, major question mark? And if you would have told me when I made that bet with Andy that this was going to be the case, I probably wouldn't have made the bet. So certainly going to have one of the most exciting players to watch in college football on their team. So you're going to score a lot of points. There's going to be a lot of highlight reels, a lot of – you know, 15 yards behind the line of scrimmage scrambles that, you know, get completed for touchdowns over the middle. I'm excited to see it, but are they going to be a good enough football team to win this conference and to play in the playoff with that schedule? Um, I mean, you have to pick it because I don't know what else you'd pick. Uh, and maybe we'll get to that. I don't, I just having a hard time seeing it. So um, right. let's see, let's, we'll see, we'll see if he can actually do it. But Lincoln Riley's got a beautiful house. And he's making a lot of money, and this is his job to figure it out because you're not going to be, I, you know, there's some people probably thought that you could just like bolt on the Big 12, um, get away from Texas, and just go run run the conference um, for the next decade without very good teams to play against. And, you know, getting all the California kids, it's like you could win the Pac-12 every year and just do what they did in the Big 12. Um, but now with the, the, the Big 10 coming up and, all the things that are ahead of it, like the pathway to becoming elite again is so much harder than I thought it would be just even a year and a half ago. Do, do you think the view you have right now from where you're sitting uh, in San Diego right now is a better view than Lincoln Riley's house? No, because there's a road between it. That's true. But you are looking out at the ocean. Yeah, it's the, it's the ocean. I'm like probably a hundred yards away from the ocean, but there are, there's a road that is between me and the ocean. 
where his is just like an infinity pool that goes into the water. Um, That's true. And so, while we're here, I just have to say, if I were Lincoln Riley, I would have done the same thing. I wouldn't have <laughs> even thought about it. So, um, yeah, has I've a harder heard, job I've now than maybe that. anticipated, but I would have done that. So, um, so yeah. So, what are you going to say? So, over under ten wins. I think I'd put them right at ten. Actually, yeah, I, over I, is I, probably I where I would over. go. Um, you would go over. I, I would go over, because, but I would expect okay. it to push. I think they're going to lose yeah. twice in the regular season. I don't know I who agree. the games are going to be, um, but I'm looking at the schedule and, you know, I just don't know how a team that I don't believe plays defense is going to be able to um, navigate at ASU, at Colorado, at Notre Dame, Utah, at California, Washington, Oregon, UCLA, all in a row without losing twice. Right. I agree. So, but maybe their defense will be much improved and they'll just kick ass. And that would be great for me personally, but it doesn't <laughs> seem to be in the car. I just don't, I didn't see the changes that I would have liked to see from a coach who's serious about um, changing up his, yeah. uh, his MO. Now let's talk about team I am incredibly high on, and that is Washington. A lot of people are. I, I am a big Kalen DeBoer guy. I'm a big Michael Penix Jr. guy. I think I drafted him in our Heisman draft. You know, what, what he did in one year to turn around that anemic offense to to do what they did last year. I think Penix led the country in yards, passing yards per game. They kept their offensive coordinator, Ryan Grubb, from going to Alabama. Uh, they got really good players on defense. I am very high in Washington. They've got Boise State and Michigan State on the road in the non-conference. They've also got Oregon, UC, USC, Utah, Oregon State. So they play everybody, but they are pretty loaded. Um, they 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 just, I think, need to – there were a couple of games they gave up a lot of points defensively, 45 to Arizona State, 34 to Oregon, 40 to UCLA, 39 to Arizona. If they Can, can you say a team not, is loaded when they get a bunch of 40 burgers dropped on them by the ass crack of the conference? That Well, exactly. That's what kept them out of winning the Pac-12 last year, I think, and that's what they need to fix. I think in year two, you know, that coaching staff – year two is usually when you see kind of a jump. You know, that's when you expect things to come into form. Last year, coach, you know, coach comes in, you're doing everything for the first time to, to have the season that they had. I'm a big fan of Washington. Their over-under is nine and a half. Um, w- what do you think of the Huskies? I'm fading it hard. Really? I I, I don't know. Like nine and a half isn't a very high total. I think there's a lot of people who think that they are going to win the conference this year. There's a lot of Michael Penix Jr. buzz, and the guy throws probably the prettiest pass in college football. Um, but like, do you actually believe that, uh, the team, when people expect them to be good is going to be good, uh, because there is a big difference in my opinion between coming out of nowhere and having a great, you know, opening season, um, as a coach and, and kind of, you know, outdoing expectations and then the expectations come in and then you just stink again. I mean, Mel Tucker signed a hundred million dollar guaranteed contract with that blueprint, didn't he? Um, and I don't know, like when you say loaded, they probably have the best receiving core in the conference, right? And Michael Penix Jr. Probably, is, yeah. is 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 yeah. really good. You know, I'm not I'm not trying to say they don't have players, but I don't know what happened in the seven or eight months in between that makes you think they're not going to have a terrible defense again. Um, maybe that's just the hallmark of the Pac-12 in general. Yeah. And the reason why Utah keeps winning the conference is because they're the only team in the conference that consistently has a tough consistent defense but you know i'm looking at a team here also too but nine and a half is a high total when you have multiple tough games in the non-conference 
You know, I mean, playing Boise State, I'm assuming that they should win that game pretty easily, right? But going on the road to yeah. Michigan State, you know, that's a, you know, that's a, that's a hard game. I'm not saying that they're going to lose, but you know, they can't lose three games in a schedule in which they play USC, uh, Oregon, Michigan State, Boise State, Utah, and, o- and Oregon State. Like that's, you know, three games and you're out. Uh, and and when everybody's expecting you to do it, um, I'm just skeptical. I think I would take the under. My my big so Kalen DeBoer for for people who don't know, he is his record as a head coach. He is ninety and eleven. He was the head coach at NAIA Sioux Falls for five years from 05 to 09. He went 67 and three. He won three NAIA championships. He goes to, he's the offense coordinator of Fresno State, goes to Indiana, comes back to Fresno State as head coach, goes three and three in the COVID year, but then nine and three, and then 11 and two in Wash, at Washington. He's never lost more than three games in a season. I know one of those was a three and three COVID year, but this guy has won big as a head coach almost all the time. And he is someone I think will soon be in the conversation of maybe one of the top coaches in the country. And to keep Ryan Grubb, your offensive coordinator, I think that was a huge win for Washington. So that is part of the reason I just, I think Washington will make the improvements from that they needed to last year, especially on defense going into year two. So uh, nine and a half, I would take the over for Washington. We'll get into our conference picks later, but uh, spoiler in our awards, we've got a, a good chunk of Washington on there. Yeah, and Washington also like won their last seven games last year. So they went into the season uh, or the offseason feeling pretty good about itself, beat Texas in a bowl game. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they, they had a really good ending to the year. I'm not trying to be harsh, but and maybe that's just like the way I just generally view the sport. It's like if a lot of people are excited about something, I kind of tend to pump the brakes on it a little bit in every instance. No, but that's Texas. fair. That's right. Like, well, it's if, interesting with Washington because like, they were they were they were what uh, tenth in the AP poll. I kind of thought that was low. I actually personally had them higher. So um, the, the 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 hype. So on you're that slamming the over hard. It's tough. I, I I am. I I would I trust their defense more than USC's defense at the, at this point. Yeah, but that's not saying anything. I, that's not a. Compliment. I think having I think having USC and Caleb Williams kind of takes a lot of the attention. Um, but Boise, but do not sleep but on Michael Boise. Michael has like the fifth. Best Heisman odds to to win the whole thing this year. Yeah, but he's behind Caleb Williams still. Nope, nobody's sleeping on <laughs> the, him though. The defending, Everyone's widely awake on this guy. I, I I'm very interested in that Boise State game, that Week One game, because Boise yeah. State I think is kind of back. They have a really good quarterback, really solid defense. That is going to be a really interesting game. If they blow the doors off Washington, then all aboard the Washington hype train. But but um. That is a sneaky oh, you, one game. If I they think blow the door off, so Boise, if they blow the doors off of Boise, if they blow the doors off of Boise, I okay, I'm all in on this team. Let's go to the next one. Uh, Oregon over nine and a half. They've got Washington on the road, Utah on the road, USC at home, Oregon State. I cannot believe. By the way, it's been nine months or whatever. I cannot believe what happened in the we don't call it the Civil War game anymore. Do you remember how Oregon Oregon State ended? Oregon blew yes. a seventeen point lead. A I was on Oregon State. Nothing, let, let the a twenty one nothing Oregon. Yeah, there you go. A twenty one nothing Oregon State run. Oregon in the fourth quarter without passing the ball once. Oregon State did not pass the ball. They had some 
I don't know if it was a defensive or special team score. They had some kind of fluky things happen, but man, did Oregon really blow that game at the end. And I think if they don't blow that. That was the epitome of college football grab ass, by the way. Yeah. If you're watching that game, that was like not even like what sport was that? That was one of the most, that was one of the strangest fourth quarters I can remember in a long time. And if Oregon, if Oregon wins that game, I think the whole vibe around him is a bit different because Dan Lanning takes over a pretty good team, has a pretty good season. He is recruiting pretty well, but what is going to make separate you from what Mario Cristobal did? It's not losing games like that. So Bo Nix is back. That is huge. He's Another having Heisman. fun. Dark horse for the Heisman. Loving the new offense, which kind of is a new offense because Will Stein, new offense coordinator, comes in from UTSA. Sneaky hire, I think, is adding Tulane defensive coordinator Chris Hampton as your co-defensive coordinator. That defense has to get better, for sure, Bunch, much like much, much of the Pac-12. I think Hampton is a really good hire as a co-DC there. So I think Oregon yeah, UT, UTSA was a really fun team to watch last year. Yeah, uh, and Will Stein was a big part of that. So I'm excited to see with some talent. I always like watching creative offensive coordinators who make a team that isn't necessarily on most people's radar fun to watch going to a place where he has some talent at his, at his disposal. Like that should be a fun, a fun team. And you know, I, I have them right around ten too. Like I think that the Pac-12 championship game. I don't know if this is a hot take or not. Might be between. I might have a two loss team in it or multiple two loss teams. Like, is that because yeah. they're all like, it's just a tough conference this year. It's very, very possible. And it's very likely maybe that the Pac-12 has another season where they knock themselves out of the playoff, which has kind of been yeah. the problem for a while. Also, on, on the Oregon note, week two, a game that uh, an, a, an unusual oh, non-conference yeah. game, but I don't think people have thought about much. Oregon goes to Texas Tech on the road in Lubbock. Um, a, a Texas Tech, Texas Tech are, is a darling. A Big Twelve darling. Yeah. yeah, Texas Tech's another darling potential to win the Big Twelve. So, have you been I, in I, Dallas? I, when you go out in Dallas, do you do you see a bunch of tech stuff? I've been seeing a ton of tech stuff around. People are getting yeah. excited. Well, I mean, all the Texas schools have big alumni bases here in, in Texas, but I do see a lot of tech more than you. I've been seeing more, know, more tech. than you would think. Yeah, there's a lot yeah. of excitement there. I may make it out there to Lubbock week two. Not yet sure, but that would be a lot of fun. That'll you should go, that's, dude. Uh, that's, well, the problem with week two Alabama. is that that's the same weekend as Alabama, uh, Texas, and it's Texas. also the same weekend as Miami A and M. So that's like, yes. it's a big, it's a big non-conference weekend for the state of Texas in general. But uh, yes. I think that that's probably sneaky one of the most interesting games of the non-conference, and nobody's talking about it because if Texas Tech Agreed. wins that game, like that could be the springboard to them being last year's TCU. And I don't want to act like yeah. national championship game, but I mean like team playing for the Big Ten championship or I mean the Big 12 championship that nobody's discussed beforehand. Okay, Chris, let's yeah. speed these up a little bit because the next two that we did, we've already kind of talked about. Um, just let me pin you down quickly for Utah um, over under eight and a half wins. I mean, we got Cam rising and um, it's coming back and we, we're not sure what he's like with his ACL tear that he suffered in the Rose Bowl and uh, Dalton Kincaid is no longer on the team, but the defensive yeah. line should be really good. Uh, schedule um, <laughs> three at <laughs> road games at USC, at Washington, at Oregon State. Um, is this an, a team that you think could be in Vegas again, or are we looking at under eight and a half for you? I'm taking the over, maybe like a nine win situation because of the non-conference schedule, but based on what Utah's done, I feel good about the over on that. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm on the over on that as well. Um, okay, so you touched on this a little bit. I think that Oregon State might be America's darling. 
um, mm-hmm. with DJU a quarterback, and they kept uh, a lot of talent from last year. Um, seemed to have a pretty favorable schedule. I mean, does eight and a half here seem pretty pretty quick over for you? Or I I think so, just because the not conference isn't too bad. San Diego State is not really what San Diego State has been. You you don't get USC and Oregon and Washington are at the end of the year. So I think, again, kind of a nine-win situation feels about right for Oregon State. I think it's interesting because if I had to guess, Oregon State would be right at eight wins going into the final two weeks of the year, um, yeah. and they would have to split one and one to get to the over, and that would be a tough yeah. situation. But um, if things go the right way, they probably could or should win. I mean, they've already proven they can beat Oregon um, doing it in – a pretty demoralizing and humiliating way for their rival last year. So um, I think I'm going to go over here too. Uh, if they start dropping games in that middle of that schedule, though, you're toast. Um, so you yes. kind of, I think you'll know pretty early on if you're on the right, on the right track for that one. Okay. Let's do some more rapid fire, Chris. Um, Cause we want to talk about everybody. Um, what would be a successful win for these teams? Let's start with Arizona. They're over unders five wins. Um, as you I've pointed out the offense brings uh, a ton back. Jaden Delora, I think, is going to be a really good, uh, really, really good quarterback in this conference now in his second year starting there. Um, T-Mac is one of the best receivers in the country, will play on Sundays. Um, they had some some transfers coming in. Obviously, it's a sting to, to lose Dorian Singer, but um, defense was awful last year, and they have seven transfers coming in on that side of the ball. They're over-under is five wins. What do you think looks like success for Jed Fish, who's you know picked up a five-star prospect out of Tucson and has seemed to you know gain some traction on the recruiting trail? There's definite momentum there to, to to take the dumpster fire he took over from Kevin Sumlin to go from one win to five wins to get a five-star recruit to commit to you. I think you gotta get bowl game year three to start feeling real good about it again. If it's another four and five and seven, four and eight type of year. Three years in, then you're kind of, eh, I'm not sure. The over-under is five. Uh, I, I don't have the schedule in front of me, but uh, I'm going to say probably right at five. So I guess I, I don't want to go over. I don't feel great about Arizona making a bowl just because of the difficulty of the conference. But I think successful season, I think you got to get to a bowl game. Yeah, I think that they have they got better last year, right? It was the, the first year they didn't win any games, so they won one or two. I can't remember what it was. Yeah, one and um, eleven in, in twenty twenty one, and then twenty twenty two, they won five. So I think twenty twenty three would be bowl eligibility. Um, the problem for them is that one of their non conference games, which they should get to three and zero for most Power Five teams, they've got to go on the road to Mississippi State, and that team is is sneaky talented. So, you know, NAU and UTEP sandwich the. Mississippi State game, that gets them to two. Um, and then they have got Washington, USC, Washington State, Oregon, UCLA, Colorado, and Utah all in a row. Um, so if they get to six wins this year, um, I think that would be a monumental shift in just kind of the thought process there. But unfortunately for Arizona, they're in year three of their build, um, and this team would probably be good enough for six wins in old iterations of the big of the Pac-12. But the conference has also gotten much better. So even if they have improved as a team, um, it might not come across in their record this year, which is a which is a scary thought process. Um, okay, let's go up by ten for a few hours uh, and stop off at a- Arizona State. First year head coach Kenny Dillingham takes over. They bring Drew Pine in. Drew Pine in from Notre Dame. 
Um, now they play USC, Utah, UCLA, and Washington all on the road, and then they also play Oregon. Their over-under is five. What does success look like for Kenny Dillingham? Success would be maybe springing an upset, kind of like Arizona State did last year with, with beating Washington. But I, I'm taking the under on that. That is a very, very tough schedule for a first-year coach. Um, I, I'm very high on Kenny Dillingham's long-term future there. I mean, you know that place better than anybody. But you wrote a column saying that they should hire him. So I think it's a good hire and everything. But I am actually a, like the person that should be making the college football hires, don't you think? Yeah, you, you should. You've got a good uh, track record here already. They're, they're non-conference schedule. They also got Oklahoma State at home, Fresno State at home. Which kind is a tough non-conference game, too, in Fresno State. You know, that's not an easy game. Um, yes. I, so it's I'm like if you under. go down the schedule, where would your five wins even be? Right. Southern you, Utah. You can pick. Cal's probably a win. I bet you they could beat Colorado. That's three. And then everybody else is a toss-up. So, everybody I mean, I guess is really tough. probably uh, not a toss-up. Most of losses. And then there's a few toss-ups in there. Anybody who has followed the Kenny Dillingham hire, um, and read the column that I wrote and you know, really is paying attention to what the build is going to be at ASU understands this isn't a quick turnaround. Um, this is a coach that wants to be there for a long time and is going to be afforded the opportunity to try to build this the right way. So um, what does success look like? Um, I don't even know if I'd put a number on it. I would just say competence and, yeah. you know, heart improvement and, you know, getting people to buy back into it. So, you know, this has been the Pac-12 preview, Chris, and we're almost done with the show. We haven't really spoken much about Colorado because anytime you bring up Colorado, it just kind of turns into a um, a contagious disease that you can't stop talking about it for 45 minutes. And we're going to have to try to fight through that. I think there are some people out there that are just tired of hearing about it. Um, but their over-under win total is three and a half. They've taken millions of dollars of national championship tickets in uh, the sports books in the state of Colorado. Um, I hope people are just having fun with that and they don't actually believe that to be the case. But um, what does success look like in Colorado this year? Probably could be its own podcast. Yeah, I mean, we we kind of did on the first year coaches podcast a couple yeah. weeks ago. You, you, me, and Ubbin. Um, TCU week one got uh, Nebraska is a home game. Nebraska should be improved, and then Colorado State should be another improved team. The over under is three and a half. If you get to four wins, I think that's a huge success because I think this team is going to get trampled. In a lot of games, Dion has overhauled that roster. He has made it better, but there is no depth. A lot of those kids came in after spring. And what happens if somebody gets hurt? You know, there's very little depth on the lines. If Shudor Sanders gets hurt, like then there's really not much going on here. And you've got Oregon, USC are your first two conference games. You have a bit of a reprieve after that. But you've got to go at Utah at the end. You've got to go to UCLA. You've got Oregon State. There's just not a, a lot of wins on here anywhere. And so, like, I'm very curious. The biggest question I have with Dion in Colorado is how do they handle losing? Because he didn't have to deal with that at Jackson State. And that is ultimately the biggest question I have and administrators have in terms of Dion's future as a college head coach. We know how things look when we know how he is when things are going well. We don't know how things will go when they're not going well. Not only not going well, but potentially going really, really poorly. I, I would not be surprised if some of these teams try to run up the score on them just to make a point when it comes to recruiting against Dion. So yeah. if, if you hit the over four wins, I think that'd be a massive success. But I am, Also, the way that he's I'm acting, too, is like 
they don't even have any possibility of not being good. Like they're just like, oh, well, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm. I, I bet you are, pal. We'll see. I, I'm excited to watch, but like their season could open up with like a 59 to 10 loss at TCU. Like that is on the table. Right. Um, and I don't think that people's brain chemistries are allowing them to acknowledge that they're not going to be very good this year. And that's not because Dion's a bad coach. It's just because you don't just renovate a, a house that was fit for a slum and turn it into Lincoln Riley's house in one off season because you flipped your roster. Okay, Chris, we had a few more. Um, but let's just do it quick. Uh, over-unders for uh, for Stanford and Cal. Uh, Stanford's three and Cal's five. Uh, I'm probably going to take – I'll take the I'll take the over for Cal. I do like pieces. I like the running back, Jaden Ott. Uh, they brought Jake Spavadol back as offense coordinator. Obviously, you have to fix that side of the ball. Um, I think Cal can get to a bowl game. Stanford, st- probably right at three. I think there's positive things about Troy Taylor, the new head coach from Sacramento State. They're recruiting pretty well. They have a top 20 class right now, but it's it's a big class. It's 28 guys right now. So uh, I think there's good momentum there. We'll see what realignment does to that. But I, I think Stanford's probably right at three wins. Cal, over under five? Cal, I'll go, I'll go over. I think Cal maybe gets to a bowl game. Maybe Jake Spavadol fixes that side of the ball. Okay, and last one, UCLA uh, over under eight and a half wins, uh, replacing Dorian Thompson-Robinson at quarterback. Zach Marvin Gay and Charbonnet uh, is gone uh, at running back, but added uh, Ball State transfer Carson Steele. Um, Chip Kelly's the head coach, and they seem to be getting better every year. Is this a sneaky team Mm -hmm. that uh, we should have mentioned more in uh, the beginning part of the show, which is are there going to be any dark horses in Vegas at the end of the year? Yeah, I mean they're over under eight and a half, so I, that's the same as Utah. But but because you're replacing two monster players on offense, there, there are questions. You you talked about the quarterback situation at the beginning. Can they figure that out? I do like Carson Steele at running back. Uh, fans, if you didn't watch him at, at Ball State, you'll you'll like him. Kid can uh, run hard. Yeah, him. He, he's a powerful, powerful dude. Uh, long hair and everything. Um, they also brought in a, a Danton Lynn as defense coordinator from the Ravens. Um, unfortunately, former defense coordinator Bill McGovern stepped down after last year. He, he died in May after battling with, with cancer. Um, they brought in Kenny Matalolo as well to kind of be director of culture, I think it was. So Chip Kelly, they keep getting better and better and better each year, but he also had the same quarterback every single time. So I'm going to say under feels like maybe like a seven or eight win UCLA team. Okay, we got to do this really quick here, Chris. We're going to give out our awards for the year preseason. Um, Offensive player of the year, um, we'll both go. You first. Michael Penix Jr. I'm shocked to hear that based on what you said. I don't really? know how anybody could like be considered for the award other than Caleb Williams. Like you, like Is it like a fatigue thing for you? Um, well, I, I wanted you Caleb, to go first is what I wanted because obviously it's Caleb Williams. I was picking Michael Penny Jr. to be a little bit different. <laughs> it's like, but grab ass gets you in trouble because you picked TCU to win the national championship game last year, and I'll never forget that about you. We don't need to get into the why. It's grab ass. That, was, that wasn't a serious pick. Okay. Is this a serious pick? Just I just want to know. Like, are you? Yes. Do you think Michael sort Penix of. is? Okay. This is interesting. Okay. Defensive player of the year. I'm going UCLA linebacker, 
Leia Atu Latu. Really good uh, pass rusher, makes a lot of plays. Expecting a big year from him. Uh, I'm going Colorado defensive back, Travis Hunter. Um, I don't know if that team is going to be very good, as I just mentioned, but that kid is really, really good and might be um, a spectacular two-way player. Um, Just because Colorado isn't very good doesn't mean that he's not going to have an outstanding year. I expect very big things from him, and I think it's possible that he is one of the best players in the conference. Okay, coach of the year. Caleb DeBoer, the guy I hyped up earlier. I picked him too, and I'm like trying to see because I was kind of down on them for under uh, earlier on in the year, but I also (laughs) think too that like that he – I think that stabilizing the program that was in such shambles a year and a half ago doesn't mean you have to win the Pac-12 in order to win that award. Is that a fair thought process? That's a fair thought process, yeah. But but you also typically is only – if you if they have high if they're a top ten team and you have them going what under nine and a half yeah like wins, nine and three I think is where they're probably going to go. You think that's coach of the year? Yeah, maybe not. Okay, let's just go Lincoln Riley. I don't feel good about that one either. <laughs> okay, I'm sensing a trend here, especially with this I, last pick. Well, here. well, here here's the reason why it's because I feel like all these teams are two or three lost teams. Like I don't know right. if I pick a team right here that it's like, you know, nine and three might be like in the conversation for the Pac-12 championship game at the end of November. You know what I mean? Somebody still missed the it. season total over. So, um, but Lincoln Riley doesn't have a defense. So I don't know. How about this coach of the year? Whoever wins it, I'll award it at the end of the year. I don't know. How, how, I um, mean, you could see Jonathan, you could see Jonathan Smith of Oregon state. Jonathan Smith. Games. Yeah. I, that, that, that's a, you're probably right. Let's change it to Jonathan Smith. Thanks for doing two picks okay. this year. Um, and the champion this year, um, I picked USC um, because I don't know who else you could actually pick. Um, outside of them, but I don't feel great about it. I went Washington for all the hype I gave them earlier. I, Michael Penix Jr., Caleb DeBoer's track record. I, th- I think they fixed the holes on the offense. They got the offense coordinator back. Uh, as you can tell by these picks, I am all in on Washington this year. And that first game against Boise, I am very excited for. Um, That's it. I think we did good. I think we made it through a Pac-12 preview without – beating people over the head with realignment discussion. I hope you appreciate that about us because we are consumers of the game. Like you guys are, Uh, we enjoy football games and not off season money grabs. um, And we're excited to get into it. So thank you all for tuning into the latest edition of until Saturday. Um, We will continue on every single weekday between now and week zero to prepare you and preview the season adequately. Um, Be sure to be following the podcast on Apple or Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, That way you'll be notified whenever we have new shows up. We'd also appreciate a five-star review and a rating. Um, A lot of people have been kind of mean in there lately. I don't know why. We're trying our (laughs) best. We're doing good. Uh, Maybe try to change it up a little bit and be nice. You know, Um, hit that subscribe button too on the YouTube channel, which is located in the show's description. Um, And of course, uh, we will be here consistently leading into the season and through the season. So thanks again so much for listening to today's show. That was until Saturday.